So here's the situation. There was news this week that a 13-year-old had appeared to beat the beloved game of Tetris. He's in Oklahoma, and he says he did it on the classic version of the Nintendo Entertainment System like 30 years after it came out. Here's the tricky part, though. When the game was created, it didn't really actually have an ending. So what happened was this kid in Oklahoma got to level 157, and then the game just crashed. So did he beat Tetris? Well, here to answer that question is Dan Ackerman, who wrote the popular book, The Tetris Effect. Okay, so kid beats the game. You think it's real. You know it's real. What's the situation? Yeah, because when you say that you're beating a game, that could mean a couple of different things. Obviously, in a lot of games, especially modern games, you get to the end of the story and the game is over or the main storyline is over. But in classic games, especially arcade games, but also, you know, old Nintendo games, you consider the end of the game to be when you've gotten to the point where the game can't keep up with you anymore and you end up with something that's called a kill screen. And you may have seen this in, you know, arcades where somebody's playing Donkey Kong or Pac-Man and eventually, because those games are so primitive, uh, you get to a point where you've surpassed its ability to keep up with your progress, and the game starts to break down, the graphics look weird, and everything freezes, and that's called the kill screen. And you could say, okay, I've gone as far as I can. That counts as a win. But this case, with Tetris for the NES, the original Nintendo Entertainment System, this was the first time we had seen someone go so far in that game that they managed to basically break the game, which means that Based on the programming, there's no further you can go. So I would call that beating the game with a little bit of an asterisk that it's not an official ending. So as someone who is an expert then in Tetris, surprised that it was a 13-year-old? I mean, you and I have had this gaming system in our lives for decades now. Yeah, but once you get much past 13, your uh, reaction time starts to go down. You know, oh, that's like fair. The of gamers are, are all <laughs> young. Once you hit your mid-20s or so, that's it. You're much slower, and, and you can't keep up. And when you see people play competitive Tetris, it is astounding how fast they are and how fast they have to play and how their hands move almost before the pieces, you know, even show up. It's uh, That's one of those games where reaction time becomes super important because the game gets faster as it goes on. This is just, you know, one, this is considered by many people the definitive version of Tetris is in the best version, but it's not the only version or even the first. It's a game that has so many, you know, subtle variations on so many different platforms, but competitively, people play this version a lot. Okay, so for all of the classic video games, you could look at like a Frogger, which I love growing up, or a Donkey Kong, as you said. What inspired you to research the history of Tetris? What was it about Tetris that made you think there's so much more here? Oh, it's such an interesting story. And I looked at it through the lens of kind of the startup culture that we live in uh, here with interesting tech companies doing startup stuff. And this was really a startup story that took place in the Cold War Soviet Union during the 80s. So it was about a game that everybody loves, yes, but it's also about how a programmer came up with an idea while living in the Soviet Union. And somehow that idea broke out from behind the Iron Curtain and became a huge business in the West. And what was the reaction from software companies in the U.S. and the U.K.? And what was the reaction from the Russian government? And there's a lot of cloak and dagger, uh, you know, contract negotiations and almost, you know, spy stuff that happens back in the 80s in Russia with the game and the rights to it. And that's why it was such a fascinating story, because it's basically it's a tech startup story uh, with a Cold War spy thriller angle.
all the history and the fun the fun background to Tetris besides all of that, do you also just love playing the game? Were you a good Tetris player? I don't think I was ever a good player, but it was such an interesting, fascinating game. It's obviously one of my favorites, a lot of people's favorites. It's a favorite for a lot of people who would not consider themselves gamers. Like you would ask you would ask somebody and they would say, oh, I'm not a gamer. Oh, but I play Tetris. That's almost like doing the New York Times crossword puzzle or playing solitaire. You may not think of yourself as a gamer because it's such a uh, unique visio-spatial exercise and kind of more of a puzzle than a game. So it appeals to people who are not traditional gamers. Interesting. If you're just joining us, by the way, we're talking to Dan Ackerman, who wrote a book called The Tetris Effect. People talking Tetris this week as a 13-year-old from Oklahoma appears to have, as explained earlier, quote-unquote, beaten the game. So what happens from here now? Is this kid the Tetris hero and now everyone's just trying to do it faster or reach the same level? Or what is now the the next echelon of Tetris success? Well, it's interesting because I nobody really confirmed that there was a kill screen for this version of the game before this. So now that we know this is there, maybe people will try to get to that faster. Uh, but there are also competitive uh, uh, events every year. There's a world you know, series of Tetris that happens every year uh, with competitors who try to get a high score and try to do it faster in different versions of the game. Competitive Tetris ecosystem out there, uh, but I'm sure this will spur people on to try to you know, do even better. Well, thank you so much for the Tetris conversation. When I said I was talking Tetris today, people started going do, 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 and singing the Tetris music back to me. So everybody loves that. And all that Russian stuff, the Russian folk music, the Russian iconography, that was all added by Western uh, game publishers in the U.S. and in the U.K. None of it was part of the original Russian version. They put all that in there to make it seem in the 80s like something like forbidden and dangerous from behind the Iron Curtain. And that was just part of the interesting interesting well again dan's book is called the tetris effect if this was a little bit of a, an appetizer into the game you should definitely check that out thank you so much for your time today thank you Nine one one. Nine one one. What's your emergency? Ah, I'm on a cruise ship. Ah, there was an explosion. Oh my god, the ship is sinking. I can't get out. There's water everywhere. We're going down. I've got a lock on your location. Stay with me. Hello? Are you there? Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all new season of Nine One One on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.